September is Urology Awareness Month, and its goal is to raise awareness into urological diseases and their associated treatments and cures. One of the most common conditions that affects over 42 million men in the U.S. is benign prostatic hyperplasia, and we're going to learn more about it today. Let's talk about it with Dr. Jeffrey Ladoyle. He's an assistant professor of urology at the University of Southern California and a urology specialist at Ridgecrest Regional Hospital. This is the Ridgecrest Regional Hospital Podcast. My name is Prakash Chandran. So Dr. Lodoyle, really great to have you on today. I'd love to start by understanding a little bit more about the most common diseases and disorders that you see in urology. Thanks for having me today. Well, urologists, we're really the masters of the urinary system. So we basically treat all conditions that relate to the urinary system. So those are the organs that involve how we make urine as well as the reproductive organs on the male side. So that means we treat all disorders of kidneys, the bladder, the prostate, the urethra, the penis, the testicles, basically anything you can think of that needs surgery, we are the surgeons of the urinary system. So what we most commonly treat, especially in male patients, is cancers of the prostate, of the bladder, of the kidneys, as well as just benign conditions of those organs. And so one of the most common conditions that we treat is prostate enlargement or just bothersome urinary symptoms. Yeah, you know, my dad actually had prostate reductive surgery, and while it took him a little while to heal, his life has gotten significantly better since. So I imagine this is something that you see quite a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, we're basically quality of life doctors. I mean, much of the things that we do is not life-threatening unless we deal with the cancer stuff. But we just deal with a lot of issues that men go through as they get older. And our goal is just to make people better and just so that they can just live life with a little bit more gratification. Absolutely. And I definitely see that with my father. You mentioned that you treat some benign disorders. And one of the things that we're talking about today is the benign prostatic hyperplasia. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that is? So BPH, which is the basically the, the abbreviation for benign prostatic hyperplasia, it's just a fancy way of saying that your prostate is just getting bigger. And a prostate is something that all men have that we're born with. And as we get older, it really becomes useless to us, except for it gets larger and it just starts causing urinary symptoms. And so as we all get older, everything gets smaller except for our prostates. And as that gets bigger, it starts to occlude and block the urinary system. It basically just blocks the urine from leaving the bladder. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this affects so many men, not only in the US, but uh, really worldwide. And I remember as my dad has been going through this, just thinking about, hey, is there anything that we can do to be proactive or to do anything to set up preventative measures to really prevent the prostate from getting larger? Well, I always recommend to men as they get older is to maintain or at least really adopt a healthy lifestyle. And that includes regular exercise, weight loss, as well as eliminating fatty foods and red meat from the diet, just everything really in moderation, as well as increasing fluid intake, especially water, as well as increasing intake of fruits and vegetables. All those things help you overall, but they can also help how you urinate. Unfortunately, though, there is a certain inevitability about someone's prostate getting bigger. There's only so much you can do to prevent that. And for the most part, if the prostate's going to get bigger, it's going to do it on its own time and it's on its own schedule. Yeah. And what do you typically see by way of like the age that this, that BPH affects people? And what are some of the symptoms that they might experience? So I'd say that 
once men start reaching the age of 40, they may start seeing changes in how they urinate. They're not just not peeing as well as they used to. And then by the age of 60, almost half of men will show signs of BPH, which would be frequency of urination, slow urine stream, dribbling, leakage of urine after they finish, inability to go pee to urinal because of stage fright. All these issues can kind of be an indication that their prostate's getting bigger. Okay, so what age does this typically start affecting men, and when do they know that they need to do something about it? Well, if they are above the age of 50 or if they have a family history of prostate cancer, the first thing that should be done is to have an exam of the prostate as well as to have a simple blood test drawn called a PSA. And the role of that is just to screen for prostate cancer because prostate cancer, the symptoms of that can mimic prostate enlargement. So you just want to eliminate prostate cancer as a cause for any of these issues. And so these tests can be performed just by regular doctors. So you don't necessarily need a urologist. So let's say you've eliminated prostate cancer as a cause for these symptoms. Well, then there's lots of tools in our toolbox to treat an enlarged prostate. And they go from simple to invasive. And I always like to start off with simple. So medications are usually our first-line therapy. And let's talk about some of those uh, medications. I think my dad mentioned he was on like Flomax or something like that. Maybe talk about some of the medications people start with and then how it progresses. So the first medication that we typically start off with is a medication designed to relax the muscle component of our prostates. And so if our prostate muscle is just too tense, it's going to block the urine from coming out efficiently. So we give medications to relax that prostate pretty specifically. And the most common one that your dad was on was a medication called Flomax. And that's something that can be started by regular doctors, that it's a very easy to tolerate medication. There's also other medications that exist that are meant to shrink the prostate. So there's both a muscle as well as a non-muscle part of our prostates. And there's a medication out there that's actually very commonly used for hair loss called finasteride that's meant to shrink the prostate. And so people can take those medications independently or in combination with each other, depending on the severity of their symptoms. There's also another medication that we commonly use called Tadalafil, which is a very commonly used erectile dysfunction medication it's called Cialis. And you can actually kill two birds with one stone. You can improve your erections and also improve your urine stream by taking a low dose of this medication daily. So there's kind of a lot of options available just depending on what a patient's specific goals are and what his symptoms are. So if people have tried medication and it just doesn't seem to be working, what is the next course of action for them? So the, there's, so once medications just stop working or they just never work enough, then you have to have a discussion with your patient about other options. And there's lots of procedures, so there's lots of surgeries available and enlarged prostate. And so the traditional treatment options, they're all dependent on cutting away tissue. So cutting away tissue is still considered one of the gold standard ways of treating a blockage. It's like a plumber cleaning out a blockage using a rotor rotor. That's all we're doing. And so Yeah, it's fantastic at improving the urine stream, but it's not without side effects. And there can be urine leak as a side effect. There can be erectile dysfunction as a side effect. There can be bleeding as well as hospitalization. And so because of that, there's been now minimally invasive techniques have been developed to eliminate those side effects, but also to improve how men pee. And one of the more popular ones that have come around is a procedure called Urolift. And that's been around for almost a decade now. But what we're seeing is that the results are durable, they're effective, and that just means that patients are seeing long-lasting results. 
Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about the dynamics of how a Eurolift system work because, you know, my dad, I think, did the traditional way, I think the reductive surgery where he yep. kind of shaved off a piece of the prostate. But how does that work as opposed to something like the surgery? So if you think of your prostate like a like a donut hole. So you're trying to pee through a donut hole. And if your donut hole is too small, then it's going to obviously block the urine from coming out. So what the Eurolift does is that rather than cutting away part of the donut hole, we're actually just placing permanent pins or staples into the prostate to basically pry it open. It's almost acting like a stent, but rather than being a full stent, it's just uh, several sutures, which we place minimally invasively. And that just pins open the prostate and makes the channel open. Interesting. And who's a good candidate for this type of procedure with the Eurolift? So the perfect candidate is the patient that has a prostate that isn't too big. So, you know, we have an arbitrary cutoff where it's between 30 grams to 80 grams. Well, that's where most prostates really lie. So most men are candidates for a Eurolift. But really, the only way you can truly determine whether someone's a candidate is to either look inside their bladder with a small camera before surgery or to size their prostate with some sort of imaging technique, whether it be MRI or CT scan. But there is a sweet spot. But that sweet spot is actually where most men lie. So a lot of men are candidates for a Eurolift procedure. And so once they get the Eurolift procedure, is this something that they have to continually, for example, have those like sutures updated over time? Or is it a set it and forget it type of thing? It's meant to be set and forget it. I mean, because it's relatively new, 20 years from now, we don't know how any of these Eurolift patients are going to you know, behave. But what we're seeing is that year after year, the results are durable and patients are still happy with how they pee. So it's not really meant to be done again, but it certainly can. You can actually add more of these clips if you need to. The other advantage of Eurolift or the other design is that the goal is to kind of reduce your dependence on medication. So we've got lots of guys that are maybe taking six or seven medications, maybe even 10. They're taking two medications for their prostate. And they say, doc, you know what? Can you have, a, is there an, another option where I can kind of reduce my medications, including those ones on my prostate? And this is where Eurolift really has an advantage is that the goal is to kind of eliminate the need for medications. Wow, that sounds amazing. And talk to us a little bit about the efficacy of this procedure, like what type of results have you seen, and maybe talk a little bit about the recovery time as well. So I'd say that the vast majority of patients that we've done Eurolift on have had outstanding results. So we track their urine scores using objective questionnaires. And what we've seen is that there have been mean reductions in several symptom parameters that we kind of assess patients' urinary bother. And it looks like it's improving urine stream, improving frequency, urgency, as well as eliminating dribbling in a lot of our patients. Now, is it perfect? Is it a hundred percent guarantee? No, absolutely not. But what we're finding is that the patients that are within that sweet spot range of prostate size, those are the patients that really see benefits. Okay. So I guess the question then becomes, why wouldn't everyone consider the Eurolift system technique versus the traditional cutting method? Well, I think what we're seeing now is that there's been a shift in our urology practice. And more and more, I think urologists, we're using these more minimally invasive techniques as our first line options for surgery, just because it really doesn't burn bridges. Now, are there patients where they don't see enough of a result that will require something that maybe requires a little bit more cutting or removal of tissue? Absolutely. What we're seeing is that the Eurolift doesn't really make that more difficult in any way. So you're not really harming a patient or at least setting them backwards in any way. You're giving them an option that, you know, they've got 
it's worth trying first. Okay, understood. So just as we close here, Dr. Lodoyle, is there anything else that you'd like to share with people or bring to their attention for Urology Awareness Month? Well, what I would say is that if you're a male or even a female and you're, you're not happy with how you urinate, you know, there's lots of tools in our toolbox to improve quality of life. So don't really be hesitant about asking your regular doctor to refer you to see one of us. And, you know, we're all about just trying to make people happier. And so we've got different techniques, different medications for whatever your symptoms are. And lastly, you know, what we are seeing in Bridgecrest in particular is that some of these symptoms can be an indication of something a little bit more insidious. And, you know, we definitely want people to come in when they feel like something is wrong so that we can make sure that there's nothing like a bad cancer that's underlying. So, you know, don't be afraid of us. We're very happy people. We're very happy doctors and would be happy to welcome everyone. In. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to be proactive about this, not only for cancer detection, but from that personal anecdote from my father, if urine builds up, it can also affect your kidney function. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Long-term blockage of your urine system can cause kidney stones, kidney failure, urinary tract infections, bladder stones, all sorts of bad stuff. You just don't want to let it just kind of fester for too long. Well, Dr. Lodoyle, very informative conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. That's Dr. Jeffrey Lodoyle, Assistant Professor of Urology at University of Southern California and a urology specialist at Ridgecrest Regional Hospital. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Ridgecrest Regional Hospital podcast. To learn more, please visit rrh.org. Select Treatment and Care at the top of the page and search for Urology. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you. Thanks again for listening. My name is Prakash Chandran and we'll talk next time.